Well, Christmas is a great time. It's a lovely time. I enjoy singing those songs. I enjoy being with family. Most of us enjoy giving and receiving presents. And what an economic boom Christmas is. You can't imagine how our economy would work without Christmas, all those people heading for the shops. Uh, but there's more beyond that, and there is, for many people, religious significance in Christmas. And I assume that's why you're here. You're either here because that's true for you, or you're either here because someone for whom it does have religious significance has dragged you here. And really, it doesn't matter which. Um, Christmas is something that seemed to be central to Christianity. Would it surprise you to know that those people who loved Jesus and respected him most, those members of his family and those ones who were his first followers, never celebrated Christmas, never dragged out a Christmas tree, never celebrated his birthday. But they did celebrate his death. And they celebrated his death not once a year, but every week. That's kind of strange, isn't it? If you think about it, if you had a choice of observing two celebrations, one is you had a choice, a beautiful baby boy coming into the world, celebrate that, or celebrate a very degrading death, a torturous death on a cross. Which one would you choose? It's a, it's a paradox, isn't it? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The Bible tells us that something that scientists have not yet discovered, and that is that this universe was created by someone. Scientists wonder what happened before the Big Bang. The Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. And he created other things on this earth. And that's why everything that you come in contact with, if you look very closely, you'll see evidence of design. And it doesn't matter if you pick up a peach or you pick up a snowflake or you spend some time looking at an insect or an animal or a brightly coloured bird, whatever it is, God has designed and created those things. And then to cap creation, at the, at the end, he creates the first human beings. And that's our antecedents, those first two human beings who are also perfectly formed and in a perfect environment and also having communication with the God who created them. He wasn't a distant God. He wasn't a God that just uh, makes something and lets it go, but he was intimately involved in their daily lives. And you might say, well, what could possibly go wrong? Perfect environment, perfect person, God involved in that situation. Well, the truth is that God also provided those first two humans with a free will as to whether they wanted to exist in this state where things were in perfect harmony or whether they wanted to go a different way. In other words, whether they wanted to stay with God or move away from God in some way. And God told them what the consequences of that would be. And they chose rebellion from God. Now, if you break any of God's laws, whether they're moral laws or physical laws, there are results, there are painful results. If I was to go on the top of the A&P building today and say, I know they, there's a law of gravity, but I've decided I'm going to defy that and step off, it would have painful consequences. That's true, it happens uh, in every circumstance. And so the consequences of this rebellion of those first two humans was thing, things entered into that perfect environment that had never existed before. Disease, human death, and also this kind of bias, this kind of break in the mechanism that we're now out of alignment with God. And so we've got a bias towards doing things, thoughts and actions that are out of kilter with God. And you know, when things are out of alignment, it doesn't work very well, does it? Most of us get our 
wheels align every now and again. If we don't get our wheels aligned in our car, what happens? We get uneven wear on our tyres, we have to replace them quicker. Well, it's even worse if you've got a precision instrument, isn't it? If you had a finely tuned watch or a piece of um, mechanical stuff and it's out of alignment, it'll either stop working or it'll work very poorly and very ineffectively. And so that's, what's ha well, that's what happened. Since then, and up to our time, we've had that exact result. And so our thoughts and actions are out of kilter with God and those things like anger and jealousy and selfishness, these are all results of that. And if all of us here, if we looked inward, we would see those things happening in our lives and, and tendencies towards those kind of things. So that song, Old Holy Night, said, Long lay the earth in sin and error, pining. It has been a long time. Pining. Not a word we use a lot. Pining, maybe a dog pining for its owner to come home. But creation has been pining. There's a lack of fulfilment. And you maybe will have felt that. There's a lack of fulfilment. And so people are seeking fulfilment in their lives and they look in different ways to find that. So maybe we amass money because we think if we have enough money and we buy enough possessions, that will really fulfill us. But it won't because the problem is that problem going back to our antecedent, this distance from God that we can't feel. We don't know what it is. We don't know quite what it is. But maybe if we throw enough money at it, we'll start to feel fulfilled. Or maybe we'll do something else. Maybe we'll, we'll spend an, a great deal of attention on our career and maybe that will give us fulfilment. Maybe for our, for our own self-image or maybe for the good of others, but we think maybe that will give us fulfilment. Or it could be drugs, or it could be sex, or it could be religion. We could find in some kind of... The way that people do a religious service, there's something in, in that kind of ceremony that, that may bring us some fulfilment. But that won't either. And, it, you know, we could turn to crystals or we could question our gender. Maybe that will bring us fulfilment. But no, none of those things do. Because we're out of alignment with God. There's something missing in our lives. Someone once uh, described it to me. They said they were a, a person that loved doing community work and they worked with uh, Boy Scouts and they were building canoes and stuff like that. And he said to me, you know, I, always, I, I was fine when I was busy with a project and I, just all my waking hours were, were developing this thing. But in those moments between projects, that's the time when I began to think and, and began to realise there's something missing, something empty in me. So that's a pretty, pretty poor and bleak prospect, isn't it? We'll live a life unfulfilled. At the end of that comes disease, decline, death. But, but at the moment, long, long ago, at the moment of that selfish act of Eve and then Adam, our, um, our forebears, God gave a promise. He gave a promise for people like you and I, descendants of those first two, that we would be rescued from this fate. That that act of defiance, and, and our daily acts of defiance, have to be paid for in some way, but that God would provide the rescue. And so that's, uh, I guess, that song we sang about God and sinners reconciled. That's what we're talking about. Now, sin is a little shorthand word. It's the word about the thing that I've been talking about, being out of kilter with God, out of alignment with God, out of alignment with his ways and his moral values. So the creator, from whom we are distanced, makes up the distance. And he comes in the form of a, of a baby, um, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. A magnificent event. God, who created this world, comes in the form of a humble baby and a human being lives in very poor circumstances 
lives a life of hard work and then at the end of it dies a death. And I can explain that to you afterwards, but that death was the only way in which that misdemeanour of our first parents could be fixed, where, the, where we could be reconciled again with God, where that distance uh, could be changed. So Jesus came, Bible as I said doesn't pay a lot of attention and doesn't give a lot of space to his birth or the first 30 years of his life, but after that, from about the age of 30, Jesus begins his mission and his mission is first of all to show us who God is. Because as I said to you, this God is not a distant God. He's a God that wants to be known and he's a God that can be known in human relationships. So that when you see Jesus put a child on his knee, that's the love of God. That's the care of God for that child. When you see him emotionally wrought, when he sees a widow going by and the, her, her son, that's the depth of God's emotion for us. And so we see through Jesus coming in no other way that we could what kind of a God it is that wants to have a relationship with us, a caring and loving and forgiving God. He comes also to teach us, so he teaches us about the future, he teaches us about purpose. So that helps, doesn't it? It helps in your life if it's not just this life, I don't know where it's going to end up, I know I'm going to die eventually, but what happens in the meantime? We have a life of purpose that fits within this broad plan that God um, arranged from the beginning. And thirdly, uh, and most importantly, that death. The death of Jesus Christ wiped the slate clean, free of guilt. You may carry guilt for all sorts of things, for things that you've said and things that you've done or things that you should have said and didn't or should have done and you didn't. Or loneliness. There are so many things, so many things that you'd like to, to take to God. All of that is wiped away and we have a new page. He talked about it there, about a second birth, a new beginning coming through Christ. The song says, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more than die, but no more may die. Someone whose life was incredibly affected by Jesus, changed the whole pattern of his life, uh, wrote these words. He says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so that death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. You see that parallel? And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. That's beautiful, isn't it? And that is the truth. So this slate is able to be wiped clean. But like the first misdemeanor, it involves our will. We have to make a choice. And we're, we're fortunate to have this choice. So we can continue as Adam's children. And what's the result of that going to be? We're, we're going to have a life that never quite gives us what we, what we really want and expect. We never quite get that fulfilment. At the end of it, whether it's a short life or a long life, we might get disease, dementia, death. That's it. Well, not quite. Because Jesus, the, the one who we say is meek and mild, had a lot to say about judgment, which comes after death. 
So even though this is a very bleak picture, it's bleaker still. Jesus said these words. He said, if... Uh, I've got to think of the words now. He said, if your, if your eye stumbles you... Well, what, it, what he meant is, if the things that you're looking for will lead you into error and sin and walking away from God and doing things that displeases him, if, if that causes you to stumble, it's better to, to rip that eye out and go into the kingdom one-eyed. He said, if your hand makes you stumble, in other words, the things that you want to grasp or the things that you want to do, things that are displeasing to God, if that's going to happen, you're better off to cut your, cut your arm off. So the Bible's not really explicit. It doesn't really tell us all that we, that we want to know about judgment, but what it does tell us is that is a very poor place to be. But Jesus says, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. So this is probably the bleakest picture that you could paint. And in a way, it's like if you go to the jeweler and you buy a, a diamond ring. They don't just grab the diamond ring, stick it on the glass counter and say, would you like this one? There's almost a, a theatre about it as they bring out a black cloth or it might be on a black display, this very dark black velvet. And they, they place that first and they place the diamond ring in the middle. And you go, wow. I mean, it looked good before, but now, in contrast with that bleakness and that darkness, this looks fantastic. And that is the story, and that is why Jesus came. Because the choice we have is between that, between that dark black velvet and the beauty of the diamond of what's called the good news of Jesus Christ. We get to choose if we want to transfer between the family of Adam and the family of Jesus. John, who was a close friend of Jesus, said this. He said, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. His desire is that every person here would be saved, that every person here would make that choice to, to get away from New Year's resolutions and to get away from my life's okay, and to take this route, to take this road to Jesus. And these are Jesus' words. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's quite a, quite a choice, isn't it? Have life and have it abundantly. And what he's saying by that is not only an abundance in terms of the amount, and he does offer life that goes beyond our death, everlasting life, but also a quality of life that is abundant, to live an abundant life even now, to live an abundant life full of joy and peace. Jesus said this, he said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come to me. Lay down your burdens, whatever burdens they may be, whatever burdens of the past may be, whatever burdens of the present may be that you're enduring now, Jesus gives this invitation. It's not an official or bureaucratic invitation, is it? You feel the warmth just in the words, come to me. I'm imploring you, come to me and I will give you rest. He also said, I'm the bread of life. And he who comes to me will no longer hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus promises to meet all of your needs, felt and unfelt needs, all of your needs.
So how do we do that? What does it mean to come to Jesus? Well, coming implies, doesn't it, some kind of movement? It implies that we're moving from being spectators, like you might feel that you are now, spectators, to actually being participants. Jesus says, come to me. And I guess to some degree we've got to notice that we are thirsty or that we are hungry. Yeah, well actually when I think about it, I am thirsty and I'm, I'm hungry for that. I'm tired of this life that I'm leading. I'm looking for something more, something more that's been promised. The uh, song says, let every heart prepare him room. I guess that's the invitation. Let every heart prepare him room to come in. You know, I've been a Christian for uh, numbers of years and I've met lots of Christians and I've heard lots of Christian stories and they all have a different kind of sequence to how things work. And you might think, yeah, what does it mean to come to Jesus? And it, it seems a bit ethereal. But there are a few components that I can tell you that are, are involved. The first is in actually talking and responding to that invitation. We call it prayer. And you might have very, um, you might have very strong views of what prayer is or you've seen it on TV or you've been in a church setting where there's a formalised prayer. prayer. Prayer is just communication with God. And it doesn't matter if you say it out loud or if you say it in your head, but it's, it's actually reaching out to Jesus. And you might say, Jesus, this sounds fantastic. Uh, uh, but I, I, I'm not sure how to approach you. I'm not sure what to do. Reveal yourself to me. It could be that kind of prayer. Prayers need to be honest. So if you're in a sceptical frame of mind and you go, yeah, this sounds good, but it sounds too good to be true, then a prayer should take that form. Jesus, I've heard these words. They sound great, but they sound too good to be true. I'd love to be convinced. Show me. So it starts with prayer. As time goes on, the fact is, in terms of Jesus' life, that he gave his life, and his life, uh, the giving of his life, and that sacrifice uh, wipes the slate clean and gives us new life. But he did more than that. He then was resurrected and, and returned to heaven. So now he has an interest in taking us forward, in taking us further uh, than us just approaching him. And he left behind the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that will actually change us. So don't think that this is just a transaction that through our will we go, yeah, I'd like that, okay, I'll slot over there. But there is a work that is done in us through the Holy Spirit. And it is supernatural. That might scare you, but to me that's the most amazing thing because it's not based on our own efforts. But something will happen, and many people give testimony of this change. There's a change that happens, sometimes imperceptibly, sometimes immediately, sometimes over a period of time, but a change will happen. And then what happens is we, we have this thing which we call, the Bible calls repentance. And repentance is where we recognise, we actually see ourselves in the sight of God and we actually see who we are at core and we want to change things. And again, it, it's movement because we've been walking in a certain direction, even in terms of our actions and our thoughts and we're heading this way and then we stop. And at the moment of repentance, we start to move this way. And sometimes it might be slowly, it might be one step at a time. Sometimes it might be at a gallop. But we change, repentance happens. And then, and again, I don't know the exact order of this, but faith is there somewhere. And sometimes, again, these are simultaneous things, sometimes they're separated, but faith comes. And faith is trust. Faith is the point, and you might turn around and go, yeah, I believe this. 
I believe what Jesus is saying. I believe what he wants for my life. I believe who God is. And I'm willing to put everything on that. And I'm willing to follow him. Faith and repentance go together. But it starts with prayer, with talking to him. In a moment we're going to celebrate, as Christians have for 2,000 years, Jesus' death. We celebrate because it's not a sad event. This is an event of, that, that has changed our lives, changed the life of humanity and brought glory to God. We do it, this is an additional reason we do it. The uh, aforementioned Paul said this, he said, The Lord Jesus, on the night which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus specifically asked us to do this in remembrance for him. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I haven't told you about that, have I? He's coming again. Jesus is coming again. Uh, a verse here in Hebrews says this. It says, Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. That's an amazing promise, isn't it? All, most of us here uh, heartily believe that and heartily looking forward to that. And I hope that you will be one of those that when he comes will be eagerly waiting for him. That some, sometime between now and then, you too will reach out to God as he says, come to me, he will take your burdens, you will live an abundant life in him and everlastingly have reasons which to thank him. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite, after I've prayed, we're going to take, the, or the deacons will come and serve the bread and the juice which represents his body and his blood. And so I invite all of you who have taken that invitation up, who trust in Jesus, who follow him, to come up and, and take part in that. If you're not, I'd, I'd love you to sit in your seat and maybe this is the occasion where you'd like to offer up that prayer to God. Just say those words in your head or out loud to say, yeah, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to trust you. I want to know what this is all about. Reveal yourself to me. And I'm sure he will. So let me pray and then I'll invite, the deacons will come up and then I'll invite you to partake. Father God, we are in awe just when we take a few minutes to think about uh, how wide your knowledge is, your wisdom is, your love is for us. You didn't stop with just uh, putting us on the greenest, most beautiful planet in the universe and providing us with everything we need, but you care for us daily. You care for every individual, so much so that you were willing to come to this earth in the form of Jesus and to give your life, to live a life and give your life for us. We rejoice in the fact that that wasn't the end, but that you were resurrected in power and that you will come again. And that in the meantime, your Holy Spirit is active in this world, convicting people, reminding people of the misalignment in their lives reminding people of what they need and then providing the answer to come to your son, Jesus Christ. 
We thank you for these elements, the bread and the juice, that remind us that Jesus lived a physical life and that his blood was poured out for us, but also that you've brought us as part of a family. The bread, his body, also represents uh, his body of believers, that we are connected together supernaturally through the Holy Spirit and we enjoy not only companionship together, but sense of purpose and unity and the power that you provide. So may you be glorified in this place. I pray for those who are, have not yet made that decision to move out of Adam's family into your family. I pray that these uh, few minutes of reflection will be moments where you will meet them in their need. And I pray that you will uh, provide them a road in which to walk. Repentance and faith in your son. So may we give all thanks now in Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, at the conclusion, somewhere between the conclusion of the service, any visitor here, I'd like to give you a copy of the, the, um, the biography by that guy, John, who knew Jesus so well that takes us from the beginning of creation uh, to the promises of God in the future. So we'll do that later on. Thanks.